Welcome, and thank you for joining this podcast brought to you by the American Heart Association. The Association's Digital Digest series features a range of podcasts and videos focused on the latest resuscitation science topics. Hi, this is Dr. Camilla Sasson. I'm the Vice President of Emergency Cardiovascular Care and Science and Innovation here at AHA. So today we're visiting with Dr. Jia from China, and she's an emergency department physician and has provided such an amazing perspective of how to triage patients, both even before they come into your emergency department, and then once they do actually present, using both clinical criteria as well as epidemiologic criteria, and then thinking about what is the proper disposition for that patient. Should that be somebody who goes to the fever clinic, goes to the fever ward of the hospital, or meets criteria to actually be admitted to the intensive care unit as well. The big take home points though, are really thinking about how to make sure you are training your medical staff and even non-medical staff to make sure that they're ready both from an epidemiologic perspective to know when to screen for COVID, but also more importantly, to know how to make sure that those patients are getting to the right place at the right time. She also is gonna be talking about patient management and the importance of thinking about both how they're coming into the emergency department and then how they're being allocated all over the hospital as they need to get all of their testing done. And then how do you actually lay out your emergency department in a way in which you try to minimize exposure? And the most important thing, thinking about how hospitals can do comprehensive resource management, not just within the hospital, but across the entire healthcare system, make sure that care is both coordinated and that critical resources like personal protective equipment and other supplies are allocated and distributed across multiple healthcare systems. This is an amazing, podcast. I hope you really enjoy listening to it. I've learned so much as an emergency department physician, and I think this is really going to help you prepare for that COVID-19 surge of patients that many of us will be seeing very, very soon in our own hospitals. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Jia, who is an attending physician in emergency department of Ruzhen Hospital in Shanghai and faculty of the Ruzhen Simulation Center and regional faculty of the AHA Basic Life Support and Advanced Cardiac Life Support. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the invitation. Excellent. Now, if we're gonna go ahead and get started, we're very excited to learn much more about the response that you have had in China. So what are the most important things that emergency departments can do now to prepare themselves for the COVID surge? Yes, uh, actually there are several aspects we can do to help the emergency department to prepare themselves. Uh, it will take some time and uh, I just want to talk it in several aspects. And the first aspect is the medical staff. And uh, please allow me to spend most time talking about this from several steps, okay? And the first step is the training. And uh, I suppose it includes three parts. And when we talk about the training, so the primary task is to update the staff on the latest knowledge of coronavirus combined with the local epidemic. So for example, the local epidemiological situations, the routes of transmission, the transmission dynamics, symptoms and signs patients may have, and the diagnosis criteria, the consensus on management, etc. So one important goal of this so is to help the healthcare workers to have a high clinical awareness or suspicion of this disease. And 
the second part of the training so is the protocols implemented in situ. So as we all know, the human resources and the infrastructure differs from, from hospital to hospital. So it is important for the staff to understand the protocol implemented in situ as soon as possible. So for example, how to react when there was a patient suspected for COVID-19, where to keep the suspected patient, where to do the X-ray or CT scan, etc. Moreover, it is best to use the flowcharts to show all these protocols so that the processes are clear at a glance. And the third part of the training is the infection prevention and control, or more precisely, a set of clear FC policies. It will help the health workers to choose the appropriate protective measures based on the clinical circumstance and procedures. And after all, we, we want to protect our medical staff, but we also do want to see the overuse of the PPE, which may be in a state of global shortage. And speaking of the training model, so online training is recommended for all training to minimize the crowd gathering. And the training is the first step of the staff. The second step is human resource management. And considering there may be a surge of patients to the emergency department, so it's better to arrange human resources in advance. And for example, allocate the COVID-19 rapid response team in the hospital, reassign emergency department staff from other department of the hospital. And in addition, recruit more assistants and clerks or volunteers to deal with the non-medical affairs, such as guiding patients, maintaining order, etc. And in order to reduce the workload of medical staff, uh, this will not only cope with the surge of patients, but also ensure an adequate patient-to-staff ratio. And certainly, so provide psychological counseling to the staff when condition permits and establishing a surveillance process for the healthcare workers and to monitor the acute respiratory infections potentially caused by COVID-19 virus among healthcare workers. And the above is all about staff aspects. And the, the second aspect is the patient management. Uh, so performing epidemiological screening and uh, temperature check to every patient and their family or companions, or ask the person to show the QR code at entrance to the facility. Uh, the QR code is an electronic passport deployed by the government to determine the infection risk of each resident. And so be sure every patient in the facility wear a mask there are hand sanitizer available everywhere to guarantee the hand hygiene. Also carry out patient education throughout the society. Inform the general public of hand hygiene and respiratory hygiene and maintain a social distance of at least one meter between people. Uh, the third aspect is the setup and layout of the emergency room. Um, it is necessary to delineate a specific area for isolation of COVID suspected use before diagnosis or exclusion. Because I think there is no, uh, no fever clinics in, in America or in other countries outside China. And 
to include a certain amount of space in the consultation room, rescue room, and observation room. The waiting area should also be adjusted accordingly to keep the waiting patients at a certain distance. And there should be only one patient in the consultation room and keep the number of medical staff at minimum. So the purpose of all the setup and layout is to avoid a crossover for both the medical staff and the patients. We should try to minimize the number of the times the healthcare workers enter the isolation ward and perform as many operations as possible at once, such as temperature measurement, drug administration, blood test, etc. And every medical staff should stay at his or her own area, so avoid moving to other areas. And uh, for the examinations, all tests and X-ray CT are supposed to be completed in place. Avoid moving and transporting patients out of the designated area. And use specific portable X-ray equipment or other diagnostic equipment. Um, if there was a patient must go out other places for checking, it's better to have a specific predetermined route and a dedicated X-ray or CT examination room. And the fourth aspect is the development of the IPC policies and the environmental and uh, engineering controls. Take appropriate precautions for medical personnel based on the clinical situation. Uh, routinely clean and disinfection the room and surfaces with which the patient is contact. It's important to try to make rules for as many things as possible to make it easier and more practical for staff to follow. And the last aspect is the comprehensive resource management. It includes personnel resources and non-personnel resources. The personnel resources management we've discussed a little bit previously. As for non-personnel resources, I mean, not limited to personal protective equipment, but also other material supply which in shortage worldwide. A comprehensive and efficient coordination is necessary between the hospital. Reallocation and priority supply to high-risk departments. And all the inventory and use needs to be documented. And these aspects are important in preparation. Uh, each hospital may prepare themselves according to the actual to the actual condition. Uh, yes, I think uh, uh, yeah. So uh, these aspects may be may be helpful. <laughs> wow, that so. <clears throat> just to recap, it sounds like training um, for for medical staff, especially in terms yes. of technology and protocols and flowcharts, are really important in making this online so that you can minimize gathering as well as. Um, thinking about patient management and making sure that um, the patients are both educated on hand hygiene, they've also got their temperature checks and their QR codes, so that yes. they have track of contacts. Um, thinking about the layout of the emergency department is also very important. And then, yes. of course, the environmental engineering precautions that you had mentioned and, and really comprehensive resource management that includes coordination of care. Yes. Excellent. Okay, those are all such great, great um, tips. And I think for many of us that are working in the emergency department, just like myself, 
I think those are all very important right now because I think those are things that we need to start thinking about or hopefully are prepared for when we have our surge. Now, how have you changed the way that patients arrive and are processed in the emergency department when coming in via ambulance or from just walk-in patients as well? Okay. Uh, for outpatients coming via ambulance, so uh, after epidemiological and uh, pre preliminary assessment, and for those patients who cannot rule out the possibility of having COVID-19 and classified classified as first or second degree patient, they will be placed first of all in a negative pressure ward designated in the rescue room for diagnosis and treatment until the diagnosis of COVID-19 can be confirmed or excluded. And for the patients arrive the the emergency by themselves, and after the preliminary assessment and the screening, and for those stable patients but cannot rule out the possibility of COVID-19, they will be sent to the fever emergency until the confirmation or exclusion of the COVID-19. And otherwise, there are also some special protocols established for special, um, how to say, subset of patients in emergency department. For example, COVID-19 suspected patients visit emergency department for chest pain or uh, pregnant or the patients need, a, need a, an emergency surgery. There were, there were other protocols for these patients. But uh, other protocols are set out on the basis of the medical resources and the infrastructure according to the hospital. And you had mentioned that you are screening or making the diagnosis of COVID. Is that based on antibody testing, PCR testing? How is that being done and how quickly? Uh, uh, so for the, uh, for the charge stage, it's the, the, the screen is based on the epidemiological mm -hmm. and the QR code. Got it. And then do you do a confirmatory testing then once they're admitted? Uh, so uh, it, it is have to be <laughs> clear state that, um, how to say, so the, the COVID-19 uh, pneumonia has been shot in China from, from January. So it's about since two months, three months, so more than three months. And uh, at the beginning stage, uh, it's, we have also, we have a lack of the, the PCR testing kit and uh, the diagnosis or the suspicion were based on the epidemiological screening and the, the test of the, uh, how to say, the CBC and the, the X and or CT scan result. So if we suspect patient, uh, the patient of COVID-19 uh, based on the result of the CBC and the CT scan and the, uh, and epidemiological, then we will do the PCR. Got but it. now, okay. yes, but not because there is a increasing, increasing a lot of the asymptomatic carrier. So maybe the the PCR the PCR test has done more and more has performed more and more now. Got it. So it sounds like when they walk in, mostly it's epidemiologic screening that you do in yes. combination with the CBC and the CT scan. Yes. And then 
as, as you get to more, you know, as we were saying, we start to see more asymptomatic patients. That's where the role of testing with PCR might be more important. Is that right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and now it's been mentioned that China has created fever clinics and fever wards and even fever hospitals. How are patients determined to go to these areas? Uh, yes, the, the, fever, the fever clinics and the fever hospital, I have to say. So uh, yeah, there are fever clinics, or we may say fever emergency department, because it works 24 seven. And uh, there are designated hospitals to receive the patients confirmed of the diagnosis of COVID-19. It's called a fever hospital. Uh, the when uh, how to say yes when the patients they, they they come to the hospital or they come to the emergency department. So the first step is the charge, uh, the charge and uh, epidemiological screening. So the criteria uh, of the fever uh, emergency is that if the patient has a temperature more than or equal to 37.3 degree or the patient that has the respiratory system symptoms or the patient is in quarantine due to a cross test contact contact with COVID patients or the patient is uh, uh, come from the key severe outbreak area and all the patient, uh, uh, the, the color of the QR code is yellow or red. So it will be sent to the, the fever clinic, the fever emergency department. And so we set up a fever emergency department in, in several hospitals and uh, fever hospital in every city, but the, the number of designated hospitals so varies from city to city. It sounds like the it's a mix of both triage and epidemiologic screening based on um, symptomatology and fever mm -hmm. as well is how you mm -hmm. help triage patients is that right yes Excellent. so the, the patient is in the fever emergency department until the diagnosis of covid19 is confirmed or excluded mm -hmm. and how long do they stay in your emergency department usually when you're making that diagnosis uh, so uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit, I, I will explain a little. <clears throat> so uh, when patient went to the, the, the fever uh, emergency department, so they will uh, receive the blood test, they will receive x-ray or CT scan, and uh, uh, if, if there are some suspicion or yes, or if the, the results meet the the criteria, so there will be a COVID-19 rapid response team in the hospital. There are some, uh, uh, how to say, uh, the pneumologue, pneumologue, the doctors to uh, recheck all the medical history, all the results, and to uh, determine if the, the patient is suspicious for the COVID-19 or not. If they, if the rapid response team, they think the patient is suspected for the COVID-19, they will uh, do the uh, PCR test. Mm. Okay, excellent. That makes sense. And now, what were the main criteria that you were using to have people go to the ICU or the intensive care unit? Uh, 
so at present, the criteria we use uh, is mainly based on the seventh edition of new coronavirus pneumonia diagnosis and management proposal in China. So uh, according to the proposal, the patient is divided into uh, so uh, moderate, uh, severe patients and uh, critical patients. The criteria of severe patients are patients respiratory rates are more than or equal to 30 times per minute, the saturation less than or equal to 93%, uh, oxygenation index less than or equal to 300 millimeter of mercury. And the criteria of critical patients are respiratory failure and need mechanical ventilation, or the patient has signs of shock or the patient has other organ failure need intensive care. So uh, compared with the routine standards used in normal times, the, the difference is not obviously. Of course, when making criteria, uh, when to determine whether the patient should put in the ICU or not, so we also need to take into account the capacity of the local intensive care unit. So it sounds like moderate to severe is a respiratory rate of 30 or more, an O2 yeah. sat of 93 or less, yes. and an oxygen saturation of 300 millimeters of mercury. Yes. And then the critical patients are the ones that have shock, um, respiratory or organ failure, or need to be mechanically ventilated. Yes, respiratory failure need me mechanical ventilation. Okay, I think that helps a lot in terms of thinking also about how to triage patients to the appropriate level of care, for sure. Yeah, yes, yeah. Um, were there clinical management issues with airway and ventilator management for patients with respiratory failure due to coronavirus that we should be preparing ourselves for? Uh, <laughs> uh, I know there was an increasing sound that the respiratory failure due to the COVID-19 is not very uh, similar. Or it's not. It's not like the 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 routine ARDS, but we don't have a complete understanding of this yet. So in clinical work, we still use uh, protective ventilation strategies to 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 manage the ventilator. In, in this regard, I, I just want to talk about one practice that when performing aerosol generation procedures, so ideally it should be performed in a well-ventilated room or negative pressure room, but it's not easy to, to have, have a, a room, how to say, meet the requirements because we don't have much time to re restore the emergency department. And so the, the protection is very important. The, the staff members uh, in China, we have to wear the third degree level of the PPE and uh, power air purifying respirator if possible. And um, to minimize the, the number of the persons required so it means limited the number of the person into the room to the to the minimum required for the patient's care. Mm -hmm. And you had mentioned, you know, I think we um, are starting to think of respiratory failure to be similar to ARDS, 
but I think what we're learning is that the lungs are different in patients yeah, with COVID. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. It's 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 just it's an increasing sound. Yes. So some doctors when when they uh, care the patients, they found them. It's a little difference. Even the how to say uh, autopsy, yeah, biopsy of the biopsy of the the COVID nineteen patients. We found something different, but we, we still don't have a, a complete understanding, or, or we have a, a, a definite uh, a definite conclusion of this yet. And in the clinical work, so we still use the protective ventilation strategies, uh, uh, like the the strategies for the ARDS patients. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that we've noticed a lot already, too, is that the patients who come in can decompensate very quickly and that all of that all of a sudden they have a lot of difficulty breathing very rapidly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is that something that you had noticed as well? Uh, how to say it? Mm, so it, it's uh, um, uh, uh, so, uh, uh, what do you mean? So, so do, do you mean? I, yeah, does I have heard of the the phenomenon, or does I have uh, take a look at patients who has presented the the, the shot of breath or, or not? Yeah, and then very quickly their oxygen levels drop and they uh -huh. go into failure. And so, do you have any any? clinical thoughts on why they so rapidly become so hypoxic? Uh, okay, so uh, so actually our hospital in Shanghai, um, for all the patients confirmed of the COVID-19, uh, the, the percentage of the severe or critical is uh, about, let me see, it's about, Mm -hmm. I, I forgot the, the definite number, <laughs> sorry. Okay. <laughs> yes, but the, 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 uh, the most part of the patient is, uh, is, is not severe and or critical. So uh, mm -hmm. I, I can't give any comment of, of, of your question. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what we're struggling with right now is trying to figure out who's most likely to become critical. Um, and who's, you know, going to be okay to be at home. I think that's very hard right now for us to determine. Um, now, after you, I know you have um, been working so hard to take care of so many patients. Do you have any key actions or um, take home points that you want to leave with our audience? Uh, yeah, so, um, mm -hmm. First is, uh, so move the charge stage forward. It means uh, start screening suspected patients during uh, pre-examination yeah, instead of during regular examination time because the COVID-19, it seems, it seems really spread very easily. And the second point is, uh, the comprehensive resource management and the efficient coordination. Uh, how to say that the battle with the virus is, is not just 
uh, count on our doctors or our nurses, let's count our the society. And uh, the third point is strengthening infection prevention and control. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like start, starting to screen um, in the pre-examination area because their um, COVID-19 is so contagious. Um, making sure that all of our healthcare systems have a comprehensive research resource management and coordination of care, and then really stressing important infection control practices. Is that right? Uh, yes. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for all of your insights today. I know as an emergency department physician um, here in, in the U.S., it is so amazing to be able to learn from you and all of the um, amazing lessons that you've learned in caring for these patients and just really appreciate the time that you're taking to to really teach us about uh, some of the basics around how to both effectively care for these patients and also to manage these patients when they start coming to our emergency departments. So thank you so very much for sharing your valuable knowledge with us. Thank you for you and thank you for the AHA, the efforts uh, are also very appreciate. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Okay. So here we go. Um, three, two, one. I think many of us are really apprehensive about what will be coming soon in terms of the surge of COVID patients we'll be seeing in our emergency departments and in our healthcare systems all throughout the U.S. This is the podcast to share with your medical directors, your hospital administrators, your friends and colleagues, really are very granular tips that will help you prepare for when that surge of patients comes into your hospital, but also I think more importantly, helps you really think about what are the preparation steps that you can take right now that will have a huge impact on the way that you can take care of patients and save more lives. Help us be the relentless force against COVID-19. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Heart Association and the American Stroke Association. For transcripts of this podcast and more information about resuscitation science, please visit cpr.heart.org or engage with us via social media using hashtag ECC Digital Digest.